and welcome to Sticky from the Inside, the employee engagement podcast that looks at how to build stickier, competition-smashing, consistently successful organisations from the inside out. I'm your host, Andy Gorham, and I'm on a mission to help more businesses turn the lights on behind the eyes of their employees, light the fires within them, and create tons more success for everyone. This podcast is for all those who believe that's something worth going after and would like a little help and guidance in achieving that. Each episode, we dive into the topics that can help create what I call stickier businesses, the sort of businesses where people thrive and love to work and where more customers stay with you and recommend you to others because they love what you do and why you do it. So if you want to take the tricky out of being sticky, listen on. Right then, not too long ago, Google set out on a quest to figure out what makes a great team successful. They codenamed the study Project Aristotle. You might have heard of it. Now, what did that project conclude? Well, it found that the most important factor contributing to a team's effectiveness had absolutely nothing to do with the intelligence, experience, or enthusiasm of its members. No, instead, success lay in how co-workers related to each other. And the key ingredient to this was something called psychological safety. Now, luckily, with me today to discuss this topic in a bit more detail is friend, business psychologist, executive coach, professional speaker, and co-host of the popular Totem Talks podcast, Helen Fruin. Hello. Hi, Helen. How are you? Yeah, really well, thanks, Andy. Thank you for having me here today. Delighted to be talking about this rather hot topic. Yeah, I'm really glad you're here because I know something of it and I was, I'm interested in the whole Project Aristotle thing, but I suspect you're more knowledgeable than me. So I'm looking to kind of uh, learn from you and, and up the stakes of my understanding today. So it's going to be great, I hope. Brilliant. What would be really nice, because I know you very well, Helen, um, but my listeners don't really know you that well. So perhaps you could just give us a bit of bit of background into you and what you're currently working on. Sure. So I'm a business psychologist, which means it is my role in life to take research from psychology, leadership, business schools, all that stuff and say, well, that's nice research. But how does it help us day to day in our job? It's the the business side of it. How does it help us to create safe environments for good teams to deliver great work? Uh, What that actually means in terms of what I do, I spend about half of my time working on recruitment, assessment, selection type stuff. So helping companies with interview skills or assessment center design, competency framework design, all of that kind of assessment piece. And then about half of my time is management and leadership development, coaching, consultancy around getting great teams to work, hence my interest in psychological safety. Cool. And I think it's only fair that we share how we know each other. So our relationship goes back to Gala Coral Group days. I think it was in my casino phase, as I'll call it, where you had frankly a rum old task of trying to organize uh, at that time a pretty dysfunctional leadership team and i i do remember thinking you have bitten off quite a lot here but uh but, but you helped and sorted us out and i think we went on to be a pretty good team actually and that was me seeing you in your absolute sweet spot i mean when you talk about what you do now 
we were defining the values of gala casinos. We were trying to get that match between brand and people. And that was you in your element. It was the first time I'd really seen you operate. And that translation of, well, what's the brand that we present externally? How does that mean we behave internally? It was amazing to see you there right in your sweet spot. Oh, but bless you. That's very kind of you to say. I loved those days. It was proper grown-up stuff, I felt. But at the same time, I was just like a kid in a candy store. I mean, to get to work on lining up brand story and people story and customer story was was a bit of a gift, really. And uh, it's no surprise to me, if I'm honest, that I've now gone back to trying to to do that for a living uh, in totality now. So uh, that's very kind of you. I just remember you being incredibly patient uh, with, at times, <laughs> a bunch of school kids, really. And um, <laughs> I, I think what was great, what I learned from you at the time was, do you know what? You can be a really lovely, engaging, friendly person, but cross me and you're in trouble. Uh, because you didn't take any nonsense at times and that's exactly what we needed and it was absolutely brilliant I, I loved it patience up into a line <laughs> <laughs> up into, but I mean everyone's <laughs> patience get but patience gets pushed at some point right so I think that's fine so look we we're going to talk about psychological safety today for people who don't really know too much about it how would you sum it up so for me and there's a large thing here about trust. Yeah, sure. It's largely about trust, but it's a specific kind of trust. So it's not just for me to say, oh, Andy, I really like you and I trust you or I respect you. It's for me to say, Andy, when we're working together and I'm not sure how to do something, I feel safe. I feel that I can trust you to say, Andy, I'm not sure what I'm doing or Andy, I messed up. Like something's gone really quite wrong. I think our customers might be upset. I think there could be a problem here uh, that I trust that one, it's okay for me to speak up and do that. You're not going to fire me or shout at me or hang me out to dry. <laughs> uh, but also that then there's a kind of encouragement of not only am I safe to do that, I'm even encouraged to do that. Because when I share my mistakes, when we can talk about failure in a really positive way, we can all learn from it. No, I think that's really important. And I mean, I see it myself in some of the work that I do. So if you take engagement surveys, for, for example, traditionally, those things have been made up of probably a, a mishmash of the Gallup 12 questions or some research from Aon Hewitt or whatever it might be. But of, of late, adding in the psychological safety type questions, you know, do you feel comfortable speaking up? Do you think others speak up? Do you, uh, are you listened to? Do you feel you have opportunity to input your own ideas and thoughts without judgment? Those, those sorts of questions um, beginning to become more popular. And in the work that you do with companies, is, is there a greater awareness of psychological safety now? Are you seeing that? Definitely. And that also ties in with the huge increase in focus on diversity and inclusion this year, because you've got, you know, people working from home, the whole kind of work and life thing has been completely mushed, technical term. And <laughs> people are trying to work out how to navigate through that. Um, then you've got post George Floyd, massively greater interest in improving diversity and inclusion. So 
tie that all together, people are much more interested in this point. Like you said, do you feel heard? Mm. You know, do I feel heard as a woman? Does someone feel heard as an Indian colleague, a black colleague? Do, do we feel like we're being listened to is sort of the diversity and inclusion piece. And that's part of psychological safety. Do I feel like my opinion counts? Am I comfortable raising a mistake or a concern? So all of these things are very much linked and very much getting a far greater level of interest this year. It's almost like we're pulling back the veneer on that piece in in business about, or certainly engagement in my world, about people feeling valued. So to me, it's yeah. peeling back the sort of sticker of feeling valued and really trying to understand on a, on a deeper level now what that really means. Not just we like you, thank you for your work, but a deeper understanding of the individual. Yeah, definitely. I think it's interesting as well because I think it now is beginning to sound like it's forming part of you know, what a successful culture looks like for a business. Traditionally, I guess in the mix, there's been about well, I would say three things normally that's talked about. There's the strong mission and vision, which gives people direction and a clarity about what they do and what their roles there to do. There's the panacea of aligned personal values and company values, right? That's something we'd all love to see. Sometimes difficult to pull off, but that, you know that's a winning part of a winning culture. And then this prospect of learning and professional growth. To me, those are three big things mm. that outline a great culture. But on this topic we're talking about mm. today, it almost feels like this is the fourth piece. This is the fourth bit of the jigsaw that's um, the psychological safety, the ability or the feeling that you can be yourself and you can mm. happily share your ideas. And I think, I mean, I'm interested to sort of see when you're counseling people, coaching people, the being yourself part of psychological safety I mean is that becoming more recognized yeah so that tends to come out uh, we wouldn't have talked about it previously as psychological safety we'd have talked about imposter syndrome uh, again on the diversity and inclusion side people not being heard people feeling like they couldn't bring their whole self to work and it's interesting when you talk about what you describe as the second aspects of culture mm. in aligning personal values and company values there's a lot more companies these days talking about their values being about helping their employees bring their whole self to work or be their best self. I see that a lot in the language from companies. And the imposter syndrome, you know, I don't really know if I can be my whole self because I don't know if I'm good enough. That starts to play a huge part in this. So that I, I do see that that part of can I be myself sits a little bit separate to can I raise concerns? Can I be honest about mistakes? Because can I raise concerns? Can I be honest about mistakes is about the safe environment that you create for me as my line manager. Mm. Can I be myself often comes down to limiting self-beliefs and imposter syndrome, lack of confidence. So there's perhaps some slight differences here in, in where the challenges are. No, no, I, I can, I can absolutely see that. I sometimes when we talk about being yourself, and I think I've heard you talk about this on your own podcast. Really, there's a there's a work person, and then there's a home person, and I don't know. Maybe I'm just too simplistic, but whenever I look back, and I did look back at some of my personality profile stuff, right from the past, and occasionally you get the conscious and unconscious self marks and they overlap them on grids yeah. and you're supposed to see two different dots 
I only ever see one dot, unfortunately, or fortunately. I'm not quite sure. As a business psychologist, I'm I'm nervous to ask you whether that's an interesting thing, or uh, or, or whether that's going to reveal too much. But I'm pretty much one of those individuals that I am what I am. I don't have a home persona mm. and I don't have a work persona, but I recognise the fact that yeah. in an environment at work where I'm in. I guess overwhelm or stress, whatever the right terminology is for that sort of stuff, that I don't quite behave the same way. Is that the same or different to the sort of conscious personalities or conscious behaviours that, that you would recognise? Yeah, so the, the difference between that, you know, am, am I the same or different at work and at home? And and the, the line on these products is always to say that there's no right or wrong. Mm. But after 20 years of doing these things, I would suggest that actually having consistency between you at work and at home is actually beneficial. Because if we are talking about bringing my whole self to work, then if I'm a very different person with my family or when I'm just more relaxed, what does bringing my whole self mean? You know, does that mean that I'm two different sides or and often the reason that we're so different at home is because we're trying to protect something or trying to hide something from our colleagues and actually if we could just bring our whole self how would that help us to feel more fulfilled get that alignment between personal values and so on so the official uh, product psychometric line is that there's no right or wrong but my experience tells me is that actually I would go with you on it being fortunate there's that lineup Uh, the fact then that you say sometimes I deal with situations differently and if I'm in overwhelm that's going to affect me differently we're all like that right we're all going to react to different situations in different ways and depending on our mood or what happened yesterday we might have a different reaction that's just being a human being okay so I do qualify as a human being that's that's good to know from a yes congratulations from a professional business psychologist, I have joined the human race today. That's well, that's, that's one good thing to come out of this podcast episode. So, thank you for that. I guess for me, thinking about, I'm trying to think about the benefits really, because if I put myself in this situation, if I'm acting or I feel comfortable to be myself, it's less hard work, right? So, if the psychological safety at work is working and I can be myself, I can share my full self i'm going to feel better as a result in the long run not just for the business but for myself i'm 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 not having to dial up energies or different personas to kind of do stuff which is tiring right and 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 takes it out of you yeah what what are the sort of benefits that you recognize that businesses that her have leapt on this stuff and are taking it seriously what what sort of things are they seeing Mm. And what you're describing there is essentially a productivity issue that if you're having to dial up your energy or work on coming across in a certain way, or if you just, you know, imagine we're trying to have this conversation now Mm. and I've got a load of other things in my head, like, does my voice sound stupid on this podcast or who's going to want to listen to this podcast anyway? I don't know anything. If I've got all of that imposter syndrome junk running around my head, how am I going to have a good conversation with you? Mm. How am I going to do my best work? How am I going to write a decent email or manage a good project? So you've got an initial basic productivity point that the more self-belief and imposter syndrome issues we have, the less productive we will be. So that's that feeling of safety, the feeling I can be myself is a huge uh, 
enabler of productivity. Then you've got everything else that comes from that. So because I haven't got that junk in my head, I can be more creative. I can be a better problem solver. I'm more likely to look outside of myself. We're so obsessed with ourselves. We're worrying about what does everybody else think of me? Do um, do they think I'm good enough? Am I going to get fired? If I'm worrying about myself so much, I'm not going to notice that that market has changed or that person in my team seems to be struggling or that person in that other department. If we were to work together, we'd probably save a lot of money. So all of that creativity, problem solving, better bottom line, spotting opportunities, commercial awareness, you hear all reports of all of those things increasing when what you describe is happening, that someone is bringing their whole selves to work and feeling safe to make mistakes, have good conversations. Have you seen misinterpretations of this, though, in any of the work that you've done with clients? And what are the commonalities there? What what are you seeing? So the biggest thing that gets misunderstood is the kind of vulnerability piece. So the importance of vulnerability is to say, I'm struggling with this. I'm not sure how to do this. And then for that to be welcomed and for people to say, "Okay, great, Helen, really glad that you told us you're struggling. Let's help you. And because vulnerability feels for a lot of people very scary and they think it comes across as a sign of weakness to Mm. say, I'm not good at this. Instead, they use self-deprecating humor. So instead of me saying, I'm not really confident in running a podcast, I'm not sure what I'm doing. Could you help me, please? I'm just going to make some silly jokes about, oh, well, obviously, Andy, this podcast is going to be a load of rubbish. Don't, Don't really see why you invited me. It's going to be rubbish that's just awkward. Like, what what are you supposed to say to that? Mm. Do you go down the route of, oh, no, Helen, I think you're going to be great. Or do you just ignore it and laugh it off? And it just makes people feel awkward. And so you've then got people who are using that self-deprecating humor saying, look at me, I'm being vulnerable. I'm showing my weaknesses. I'm ticking all of those great boxes for psychological safety. And you're not. In fact, if anything, you're putting up more walls because that self-deprecating humor would suggest that you're not really willing to be open about your challenges and weaknesses oh helen you see this is the problem now of speaking to a a friend who's a business psychologist because now you've just opened a door and i'm looking at it going oh goodness that's i've done these things so many (laughs) times i continue to do these things i did have a boss once tell me to say in the next exec meeting see if you can start a sentence without saying i know i'm not the expert in this but it was just my way of not trying to annoy a subject matter expert with an opinion. Um, but it came across as all that kind of lack of confidence, vulnerability signals. I'm not really worthy to be around this table and ask questions, all that kind of stuff, which I guess I sort of, I guess I sort of knew really, but it's a really hard habit to break if I'm honest. But uh, yes, thank you for shining that spotlight. Not as you describe, but but that's a spotlight on your lack of confidence. It's not a spotlight on you using self-deprecating humour to avoid the issue. So the fact that your manager has come to you and said, actually, Andy, what if you felt more confident in your opinion? Uh, Because, you know, for many people saying, I'm not exactly the expert on this, but here's my opinion. That's really helpful for a number of people to speak up in meetings. And Mm. it helped you speak up in meetings. 
if you were doing it every single time you said something, fair play for the manager to say, yeah. maybe you could start some sentences differently. <laughs> yeah. um, but that is very different to self-deprecating humor, which is actually putting up the walls and yeah. saying, you know, so, so that, that example for me would be if you said, I think this is probably going to be a rubbish idea. And, you know, yeah. all my ideas are rubbish anyway, but how about we do this? That That's less comfortable. Yeah, no, I get that. No, yeah. And, and, and yeah, I have done that but not as much as the other one. But um, <laughs> yeah, I think I, I always try and park my neuroses before we get into this podcast. It's amazing to me how, <laughs> how many of them come out repeatedly uh, in, in episodes, but I'm, yeah. we'll, we'll move on. So I, I think when you're looking at those, <laughs> those, those benefits, leading by example on that vulnerability piece, is that something that you're seeing more managers, leaders being comfortable with, or is it still a hang up? It's a huge hang up, a huge hang up, because this idea that we've got this belief that I'm a manager or I'm a senior person. You know, one of my coaching clients is a CEO. I'm a CEO. I'm supposed to have all the answers. I'm supposed to have it all figured out. I get everything right. I never make any mistakes. You know, to have me come along and say, well, actually, it'd be good if you could be vulnerable and talk to them about what your challenges are. No, thanks. So it's still something that people find really challenging. And you've got the odd person who really stands out as a role model in that space. And those people tend to really attract people to them. Uh, you know, if you look at trust in government, trust in, in business leaders, uh, as sort of governmental or nationwide surveys, trust is really, really low. Yeah. And so then when you see leaders being more vulnerable and more honest, that trust starts to increase. Uh, Patrick Lencioni, his work on trust is absolutely fantastic. And he talks about when you build trust, the way to build trust is to go first, to be the first one to say, I'm struggling with this. I don't know how to do this. We have an uncertain future. I don't know how it's going to go, but let's go together. To be the first person to be vulnerable is the only great way to build trust. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's leadership credential for for me. I think it's not strange, but I think we're going to see a bit of a bow wave in management and leadership being more comfortable because we are talking about these things more openly, more more often. Uh, and and actually, I think maybe I don't know is, is this some sort of next industrial revolution or not? But all the kind of old Jack Welchisms of you know how yes. to how to run a business and how to cut to the core and do this that and the other is sort of changing for a more of a human feel to it at least that's what i see or or, or feel definitely and that's partly generational differences so you know Jack Welsh isn't running General Electric anymore. You know, there's a natural kind of retirement and churn of those generations moving out. You've got the new generations coming in who have a high expectation of regular feedback, regular honest conversations. And so that does make a huge difference. And then, as we say, particularly with this year, you know, people seeing into each other's homes, people connecting on a more personal level than they ever have done because they're looking at their kids on a video conference. You know, that's all contributing to a shift in our cultures, in our workplaces. Oh, I think that's that's great. I think that's true. I think that's really well observed. I think we we are we are seeing a shift. I think it's interesting also if you look back at the if you look back at the Aristotle work of those five traits that they sort of found in successful teams of which we're saying psychological safety was the biggest influence you know four and five 
are hot topics for me, meaning people want to have meaning right in the work that they do and they want to have impact. They want to know that the work they're doing is important and, and, and helping change. And we talk about the shift in, in generation and lots is talked about millennials and all, all that malarkey, but purpose, meaning, impact are, are all things that are talked about a lot within that generation. So, you know, if, if the leaders of today are having to manage those people and these people are becoming the leaders and managers as we go forward, it's natural there's going to be this shift, right? Absolutely. And it's a really good shift. You know, there's a tendency with generational differences to always say, oh, why the generation like that? You know, they need to change. They need to recognize that to get by in the workplace, you need to adjust. But basically, we moan about the next generation saying they need to be just like me. And every generation does that about the younger generation without fail. Uh, so instead to say, actually, how do I engage that generation? How do I motivate them, lead them, build great relationships with them? And then, as you say, support them as they become the leaders. That's a, an incredible shift that we could do with making. Absolutely. Hallelujah to that, I think. So hey, are you able <laughs> to share some some stories, some, some, some examples of where you're really sort of seeing psychological safety being used really, really well? to benefit people, team, organization? Yeah, so there's a couple of stories that stand out for me. Um, I mentioned the, the coaching client who's a CEO who has really got on board with the idea of creating trust within his leadership team. And the, the key thing to say about all of this is that it doesn't just happen Right. So, so people listening and they're like, well, how do I get psychological safety? <laughs> it doesn't just happen. We've got to have conversations about it. And so what the CEO is doing is saying to the team, you know, have you heard of psychological safety? Have you come across Patrick Lencioni's work on trust? Uh, have you have you thought about what it would mean for us as a team to do this stuff better? Um, and so he's creating that environment and challenging team to have those conversations as well. Uh, there's a, another client I'm working with who uh, is sort of managing a legal team, and in this legal team, uh, you know, we've got a broad number of people across a broad number of uh, focus areas, and they started having the conversation by saying, "Look, I've." Uh, the, the guy who runs the team had read about the Google research. He then shared that Google research in a department-wide meeting. He said to his management team, I would like us all to start having conversations about this. And then that management team was encouraged by him to go have conversations with their direct reports. So you're kind of getting this cascade effect of everyone's hearing about psychological safety. And there's still people in the team who are going, I don't really get what it is. There's still managers in his team who are saying, I don't really see why I should be having the conversation. And that's all natural. The point is they're having the conversations. And he even went as far as, uh, to your point about surveys, mm. he sent around a seven-question survey, just an anonymous survey monkey thing. And uh, everybody but one person in the team responded, which is incredible. You know, anybody who's ever administered a survey, you're lucky if you get like 50%, 60% response rates. This was a 96% response rate. And by getting that data and understanding how comfortable are people feeling now and what could we be doing to support them further, it's just enabled more and more conversations. And then by me being able to go in and, and run some workshops around this as well, it started the conversation about, you know, so if I wanted to say to you, 
Andy, I'm your line manager. When you make a mistake, how comfortable do you feel raising that with me? And when you've raised a mistake with me, how do I respond to you and how does that make you feel? You know, there's all sorts of things here about actually, if I'm a terrible manager and I make you feel utterly awful, you're probably not going to tell me that. <laughs> but at least if we're starting the conversation, I can start saying, look, I'm conscious. And I had this feedback myself. I was pretty disappointed, but not surprised to hear that a few years ago, one of my members of my team was very nervous about telling me when things went wrong to the point where he would just hide things under the carpet. He did not want to tell me when he'd made a mistake because he knew I would absolutely flip. And that just highlights, again, the damage of not having psychological safety. How many of our team members are hiding problems yeah. under the carpet? Yeah. What issue is that causing for our customers, our bottom line? Uh, so I was horrified, but not surprised. And then delighted to hear that because I've worked on that, he now feels a lot more comfortable coming to me and saying, I made this mistake. Here's how we're going to fix it. Uh, and that's great. So just starting this conversation is absolutely critical. Well, well done you for progress. I mean, go to the top of the class. That's great. I mean, I think, look, it's a, a bit, bit. it's a bit like old fashioned dating, these conversations, right? You, let's have a chat first. Let's not leap straight in with the yeah. uh, proposal, right? So I think... Just having the conversation, firstly, I'm still amazed how little conversations are had between manager and colleague yeah. uh, in some businesses. I heard a story from a LinkedIn connection the other day who who helps people with mediation work. And uh, he was talking to an employee, a new employee, a year ago, who in that year hasn't had a conversation with the manager. I mean, what? How's that even? How's that even happen? I mean, it's a big organisation. Okay, I get it. I bet it's com complex, but but really, yeah. So I'm running a workshop the other day, and the the brief for the workshop was, you know, how to manage in this complex virtual hybrid environment. You know, some people are virtual, some people are not. You've got resilience issues, well being issues. I'm thinking, wow, this is this is quite a big brief. This feels quite bold. I'm going to have to come up with some really good ideas. Oh, my goodness, what could I possibly come up with? You know, the number one thing, the piece of feedback I got that people found most useful from this workshop was, well, I guess I should call people and ask them how they are. Mind blow. Unbelievable. Oh, I'm a little bit disappointed at that. Because I, yeah. it's so easy to yeah. start talking about this stuff and get sucked into the we're doomed, right? And that isn't the case because there are there are brilliant people out there doing really simple and amazing things in all sorts of sizes and shapes of business. But it's stuff like that that just makes me worry a little because yeah. how have they got to that point when they're managing people and they think that picking up the phone or having a Zoom call with somebody to check in is an instruction they need to be given. Mm. Uh, it doesn't compute for me. And and that's that's the worry. And that's why we're on this mission, right, to improve things and talk yes. about these things and get people kind of like cooking on gas. And talking about cooking on gas, I'm about to burn the food if I look at the timer on, on this conversation. Um, but... <laughs> always happens helen when i talk to you love talking to you but 
one of the things I really want this podcast to do, right, is to give people some practical tools, right? It's all for having yes. a conversation. Hopefully the conversations are interesting, but I'd love for people to take away stuff. So I have this thing called sticky notes and yes, you know me. I love it. Well, thank you. You know me. I like things simple. So it is three practical pieces of advice that they can take away on a sticky note and I will virtually stick them up on the sticky studio wall and refer to them from time to time. So when we're talking about improving the psychological safety of your people, which we know will help produce a far more effective, successful team, what are your three sticky notes? So number one, mm-hmm. have a conversation about it. <laughs> so <laughs> shock, shock horror. Uh, you know, so I, I listened to this podcast on psychological safety. Have you heard of psychological safety? Maybe then I Googled it and I found out the Google research just chat with your team. Maybe you just choose one person in your team to mention this to. Have a conversation about what is psychological safety? What does that mean to us? Uh, so that you can start at least exploring this idea. Have the conversations, number one. Excellent. Number two is the go first point. Start talking about your mistakes. Start talking about things that you're concerned about. Now, whenever we talk about vulnerability, people are like, well, I'm not just going to walk in. Hi, I'm Helen. I'm your new manager. And uh, I've got to say, I've got no idea what I'm doing. Uh, I've never been a manager before. Not sure about this. No, of course. There's there's something about selective vulnerability here. So I'm not going to share all of that with you. But I could say, you know, I'm looking forward to 2021. And I'm not quite sure how Brexit is going to affect us. I'm not quite sure what this department's going to look like because we're going through this reorganization. And what we need to do together as a team is work out that together. You know, that's me being a bit selective in my vulnerability to share something I'm not sure about, or to be honest about a mistake, or to be honest about things I'm not confident about, right? So you've shared, Andy, I was in that meeting. I didn't want to step on other people's toes. So point number two is go first in sharing your mistakes, your concerns, and so on. And point number three is catch people doing the good stuff. If someone does come to you and say, oh, my goodness, Andy, I have made the biggest fluff up. I've got a problem. Congratulate them on coming to you. Thank them for coming to you immediately and letting you know there's a problem. If you hear someone call out in a team meeting, I'm sorry, I don't really understand what the strategy is. Could could someone explain it to me because I don't understand it? Thank you for being honest, because you can guarantee if you're not clear, then it's probably at least half of us are not clear. So catch people doing the good stuff, being honest, owning up to their mistakes. By catching people doing the good stuff, they're more likely to keep doing it. Brilliant. Top, top advice. They're on dusty pink uh, sticky notes for you, Helen, on on the wall. Nice. I think it's a nice touch. Yeah, cool. Helen, oh, it's been an absolute joy talking to you. I always love talking to you. Thank you for sharing your your wisdom and insights today. Really appreciated that. And take care. And I hope to see you soon. Brilliant. Thanks, Andy. Absolute pleasure. Thanks, everyone. So that was Helen. If you'd like to find out more about Helen and some of the stuff we've talked about, then please take a good look at the show notes. So that concludes today's episode. I hope you've enjoyed it, found it interesting, and heard something maybe that will help you become a stickier, more successful business from the inside going forward. If you have, please like, comment, and subscribe. It really helps. 
I'm Andy Gorham, and you've been listening to the Sticky from the Inside podcast. Until next time, thanks for listening.